are listening to Astrology Today, coming to you live from the beautiful Sunshine Coast and Powell River, which is situated on the traditional lands of the Klahoman Nation. I will be your host, Maureen Reed, and I am an astrologer. Welcome. In the studio today, whom we are going to hear. <laughs> Yay, Joanne, I think we figured out your mic. <laughs> I apologize, and I hope to be able to fix some of my other podcasts so that we can actually hear Joanne. Yes. Okay, as a reminder, you can email me for a PDF of your chart set with whole sign house system. And to do that, uh, contact me at Maureen, M-O-R-E-E-N, at cardinalastrology.ca. And it occurred to me this week, as I was pondering the con- <laughs> what I would talk about, that um, I realized when I got into astrology back in the 80s, that new discoveries were shaking up the traditional architecture of astrology. And uh, in my segment, Getting to Know the Planets, I want to just introduce you to uh, the new guys on the block which I'm, you know, like I think I've mentioned before that I'm taking a Hellenistic course, which is reacquainting me with the roots of astrology, but things have changed. And now we've added more planets. We downgraded one of those to a planetoid, although I'm sure Pluto really could care less. (laughs) And we've added a whack of asteroids. Yeah, so lots to play with. Uh, So the first guy that shook up the field was Uranus. Uranus is what I'm hearing in other podcasts. Uranus rather than your anus. Yes. Okay. It's probably a good idea. Okay. Uranus was discovered between the American Revolution and the French Revolution. Okay. On March 13th, 1781. It has an 84-year orbit and marks a life cycle that most of us will get. The next guy discovered was Neptune, uh, September 23rd, 1846. And then Pluto was discovered February the 18th, 1930. And then Chiron, a wild guy who ties the old visible planets like Saturn in towards the sun to the first of the outliers, and that's Uranus. And so he has, like Pluto, a really erratic orbit right? Like it's not a perfect circle. Takes about 50 years. And um, yeah, and so he's in our charts now. And then um, also starting in about the 1800s, they started to notice that what was probably supposed to have been another planet between Mars and Jupiter, because there's quite a gap there. If you think Mars takes two and a bit years to go around the sun, whereas Jupiter's 12, there easily could have been another planet in between. But instead, it's just a bunch of rubble, some of which are big enough uh, to be called, well, we call them asteroids, but some of them are even considered planetoids, sort of like what happened to Pluto. Okay, so the asteroid belt, uh, like I was saying, is roughly between Jupiter and Mars. And uh, the symbolism has come that they've named these asteroid, the bigger ones, okay, has come from deity, deity names from, uh, I guess it's the Roman time frame, because it's, okay, so the main ones that were being studied back in the 80s was Pallas Athena, 
She was discovered March 28, 1802, considered the warrior queen. Pallas Athena was the goddess of courage and just warfare. And we see this in the discovery chart. So that's part of the way that they've come up with the meaning for some of the um, outer planets and uh, for these asteroids. So Jupiter was conjunct Saturn and opposing Mars. Here is the balance she is trying to find, deliberating to find the truth before passing judgment and taking action. So yeah, the deliberating for truth, that's the, and passing judgment, that would be the Saturn-Jupiter combo. And then the action obviously is Mars. She is defensive by nature and will use her creative and strategic intelligence to avoid violence. But when all else fails, she will take action. I have Bellas Athena conjunct Pluto in my chart. Mm. <laughs> so occasionally I have taken action. <laughs> it's true. The courage is not only shown by Mars, but also Jupiter from her father, because Jupiter in the heart of the lion on the royal and brave star Regulus. With Jupiter in particular, it gives success, fame, and honor, especially of a military nature. So lots of things you can look in your chart mm -hmm. if you want to. Okay, the next guy is girl, actually. All of the asteroids, although there's now 45 of them. And, Whoa. Oh, yeah. There's, <laughs> you can, Way too much to look at. Exactly. You got it. You got it. Uh, Vesta, though, is one that's commonly looked at. Mm -hmm. Uh, discovered March 29th, 1807. Uh, so these are the Vestal Virgins, right? Uh, they had no family. They were totally on their own. Uh, this was unique for women in Rome. They were also constrained by their position as guardians of the sacred fire. Vesta rule, ruled fire, and Romans thought that as long as the virgins kept the flame alive, Rome was protected. Uh, this all-female environment and the power and control issues with males in charge give us Vesta's meaning. So it's almost like this is the point of the struggle with the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Juno was discovered se September 1st, 1804. Uh, first and foremost, Juno is the sign of marriage and commitment. In Rome and Greek mythology, Juno was the wife of Jupiter, a.k.a. Zeus, and she was hailed for her unbreakable loyalty to her husband. Hmm. <laughs> Some of us in this room might struggle with that concept, but that's okay. Uh, she's also responsible for pairing of soulmates, and her feminine hands are behind every marriage that occurs. In astrology, Juno represents commitment, marriage, betrayal, give and take in partnerships, partnerships itself where it involves the effort to balance the power between two people, infidelity, fairness, and compromise. Yeah. And the last one, um, there was four of them that were sort of prominent when I first walked into my first astrology conference. And so this last one is Ceres. Again, early 1800s, January 1st, 1801. Uh, Ceres represents the depth of love that sits within us all. On the other end of mother, uh, on the other end of the motherhood spectrum, Ceres also represents grief, loss, and even our response to the abduction of whomever we love most. 
She also represents the issues we may have in our parent-child relationships, and she's also been dubbed the Earth Mother. And so, like I say, uh, in my particular astrology program, Solar Fire, um, I can plot 45. <laughs> and I'm, I, in future episodes, I will look in to see just how much research has continued since the 80s on these asteroids and whether mm -hmm. people are using them much. I don't know, you know. Um, yeah, so something for future talks. But meanwhile, we are going to look at Uranus because back in the 80s, there was a huge movement to dethrone Saturn from being ruler of Aquarius and replace it with Uranus. And so I thought, well, let's just look at how, what kind of impact has Uranus, Uranus, <laughs> Uranus I don't know. One of those, anyway, um, have in people's charts. So the first one, the first thing I'm looking at is the 84-year cycle. And um, they, they line up, it lines up with Saturn only once. But that's a fairly momentous uh, shift, and that comes at around age 21. And that's the first quarter square from Uranus to its own position. And... Um, Typically, I like to remind, especially if I see young clients, that, okay, there are seven, eight billion of us now, and yes, you will have to figure out how to get along with the rest of us, because it's that, <laughs> that time in life where kids have to realize that their little milieu, their little group, yeah, um, they can't we can't ignore them. They can't ignore us, although they want to. <laughs> anyway, so that's Uranus's first square. The next one, at age 42, typically heralds a point in time where, especially in career scenarios, this is where I've seen it the most, but relationships can also have a big bump here, or this could be the unexpected pregnancy. Uh, but it's like your true nature wants to be out there and accounted for and so that's quite common at the 42 then that's the opposition right where you know that's me or is that me am I towing the societal line or am I standing up for my own independence okay and then the last or the last square is 63 so that's just after your uh, second Saturn return and I think it helps to shape the way people want to move into that last section of life. Um, I'm just trying to think. I just went through this just a couple of years ago. Um, but I had other stuff happening as well. So <laughs> I'm not sure I can really parse that out. Huh, something for future consideration. And then the return at 84, that's often quite a demarcation. It's like the first Saturn return. Lots of people will check out just prior to the first Saturn return. And then lots of people will bid adieu to this lifetime around the age of 84. But if you make it past your 84th year, yeah, you could be here for quite a while. Um, yeah, it just seems to be one of those moments. So what goes into our meaning that is associated with Uranus. Well, it comes from mostly from its physical description. Here is a very oddball planet. Most planets have their north-south pole 
perpendicular to the elliptic. So like the, like the Earth, we spin like this as we go around the sun. And I'm making a motion around my microphone. <laughs> you can see that, can't you? <laughs> no, what Uranus does is its poles face the sun. And so it rolls. Hmm. Yeah, none of the other planets do it. He's the only one. He's weird. Yeah, so he rolls around. And so what that, and he's, okay, so the other thing about the outer planets, except for Pluto, I don't think Pluto is a, a, is a giant gas anything. I think it's a physical, I think you can walk on Pluto. But Saturn, or not, yeah, Saturn? Can you walk on Saturn? I don't think you can. You can't walk on Jupiter either. Mm -mm. Right. Anyway, so Uranus also fits in with that. He's a gas ice giant. Okay, so you can't walk on its surface. This weird rotation parallel to uh, the elliptic. Uh, so it gives seasonal changes completely unlike those of other planets. Uh, so one pole faces the sun continuously and then the other faces away and then it flips around. And so we have uh, 42 years, so half of its orbit. Uh, one side will have, yeah, 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 exactly. I, yeah, I know, and then it flips over. I have no idea. Anyway, so one side gets 42 years of sunlight, and then the other side gets 42 years of sunlight. And she's just trying to figure that out with her pen, and I agree. <laughs> I don't get how that flips over. We might I need an if, astronomer to actually explain. If it's turning as it goes. Maybe. That could be. Yeah, that's true. I don't quite... Anyway, Uranus is weird. There's no question about it. So, what does he point to? He points to the unpredictable. Mm -hmm. Fast, sudden, unexpected changes. Uh, nervous breakdowns, or just like... Um, well, one, one woman put it, uh, nervous system on espresso. Innovative, independent, speeds things up. Um, and so I thought, okay, to start with, to get familiar with what Uranus does, because that's just the way I'm going to say it, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I thought I would take Uranus through the birth charts of people who have it prominent. And so I will be going through Uranus to the Sun, the Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Yeah, just so that we can see what it looks like if Uranus is strong. Okay, so how am I doing for time? We're doing good. So first up, and you will find these charts uh, already up on my website. Uh, which is www.cardinalastrology.ca and under episode 16. So, Angela Merkel, born July 17th, 1954. She's a year younger than me. That was no. a surprise. In Hamburg, Germany. She has Sagittarius rising, sun in Cancer, moon in Aquarius, and that uh, sun in Cancer has Uranus conjunct. Um, and so Merkel, just a little bit of her background, okay. Uh, she was, grew up in the GDR, which was East Germany, East Germany, and this is what she said. Life in the GDR was sometimes almost comfortable in a certain way, because there were some things 
only one simply couldn't influence. So it was like there was this rigid structure, right? And you just, that's just the way it was. Okay, so near the end of her studies, Merkel sought an assistant professorship at an engineering school. And as, and so this would have still been in the GDR, yeah. As a condition for getting the job, Merkel was told she would need to agree to report on her colleagues to officers of the Stasi, which was the Ministry for State Security. Merkel declined, using the excuse that she could not keep secrets well enough to be an effective spy. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and that sort of speaks to San Uranus, like, here we go. We can, you know, and that that piece is sitting in the eighth house. So um, we might just put spying in the eighth house, right? And but with Uranus there, no, we struck a moment of independence and went, yeah, no, I'm not good at that. But the other thing she has is Mercury station, so a brilliant mind um, conjunct Jupiter, which is yeah, ethically that ain't gonna work for me. <laughs> I can't spy on people. So, yeah, she got quite a loaded eighth house. Okay, the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 served as the catalyst for Mer Merkel's political career. On the 22nd of November 2005, I've left a lot of her history out. It's very interesting reading, though. Merkel assumed the offices, office of Chancellor of Germany following a stalemate election that resulted in a grand coalition. So I find that interesting that with her son Uranus, she, and, and this is something that is also associated with Aquarius, that these are global citizens, mm -hmm. right? And so having that Uranus really strong there, it does speak to, in my family, because this is cancer, son cancer, right? I can have everybody. Right, Sun Uranus. Merkel has been widely described as the de facto leader of the European Union. Throughout her tenure as Chancellor, Merkel has twice been named the world's second most powerful person, follow, following or by Forbes magazine. Pardon me, the highest ranking ever achieved by a woman. And so the the sort of uniqueness of her abilities has been you know recognized and that's where i would put that uranus is having conferred that and she's doing it in the eighth house which is shared power again that speaks to i think in every uh, subsequent election it's it's always been a coalition in germany i can't say that i you know really understand how their political system works, works. Yeah, yeah thanks yeah um, she also has Moon in Aquarius, which would back up that Sun-Uranus connection. Yeah, granting that. Okay, next we have, and this one I had to laugh when I found this one, because I have Moon opposite Uranus and have struggled from time to time with being... Um, you know, that happy, sad thing. <laughs> okay, so moon conjunct Uranus. Who has it? Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> November the 8th, 1966 in the UK. He is a Gemini rising. Okay. Uh, he has sun in Scorpio. 
so we can be intense, let alone give us a moon conjunct Uranus. And that moon in Virgo is the part that's conjunct Uranus. Oh, yeah, perfectionist. And, but I think in him, he, and this is what's true about the moon, is depending on the condition that your moon that, you know, is in your chart, this is a very personal point, and it is equal to the ascendant in describing the individual, more so than the sun. The sun is the fire in the belly, but between the moon and the ascendant, that's, that's you. And so because it's you, you don't realize how off the charts you might get. And with Uranus, of course, there's, it's sudden, explosive, yeah. Okay, so in his autobiography, which I had to laugh, it's called Humble Pie. Seriously? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh. Moon and Virgo and... Well, I mean, he thinks he's being humble, I guess. He also has... When, we, when I start to talk about Pluto, I will also talk... He also has a Mars-Pluto conjunction, which is, in my vernacular, uh, biggest stick in the park you can get. Okay, so he has Uranus conjunct the moon opposite Saturn as well. So there, from his point of view, there is humble pie, but um, yeah. Anyway, that's quite the combo. He describes his early life as being marked by abuse and neglect from a hard-drinking womanizer. And so that's all that Virgo, fourth house, Mars, Pluto, Uranus, moon. Yeah, difficult childhood definitely correct. He describes his decision to enter catering college as an accident, a complete accident. And what that was is he wanted to be a footballer, right? And then he had severe injuries, um, that Mars, Pluto thing. Yeah. Anyway, it's so he had to change. He couldn't do the physical thing. Ramsey is a wonderful set chef. This is by one of the people that hand out the uh, oh, what do they call them? Stars, Michelin stars. So a uh, food critic. Ramsey is a wonderful chef, chef, just a really second rate human being. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy, picking on him. Ramsey himself said he was unaware of the extent of his swearing until he watched an episode of Boiling Point. While he stated he did not have a problem with it, mum was appalled. <laughs> Yeah, I think I've seen him a few times. It's a bit over the top, but again, Moon Uranus, yes. right? Just explosive and yeah. Ramsey revealed that he exer exercises semi-competitively competitively for general well-being as he has seen overweight and unfit chefs collapse or become unable to move quickly around the kitchen. But I think it's also that the energy that's pumping through you with a Moon Uranus right you know plus mm -hmm. again he's got mars pluto too he competes in ironman marathons and triathlons he also eats very little per meal and prefers to graze throughout the day partly due to the habit he built up as a judge and chef um yeah so it is very much a uranus moon virgo piece right he would be probably um incredi incredibly knowledgeable about health and nutrition and all the rest of it. Just a not very nice person, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> 
Okay, so the next one, this is Uranus Mercury. So I expect a radical different mind. So the one that I came up with isn't, was radical, but not in a way that most people are aware of. Okay, so this is Ian McCallan. McCallan, I think that's how it's pronounced. May 25th, 1939 in the UK. This is the actor that played Gandalf who, when I was reading the books, was Gadalaf, because I didn't know how to pronounce it. (laughs) It's true. When I went to see the movies, I'm like, Gandalf? No, no, that's (laughs) Gadalaf. Wrong. Anyway, Ian was a perfect pick for that role. So he has Sag Rising, Sun in Gemini, Moon in Virgo, and Mercury is conjunct Uranus in Taurus. Okay. In a quote that I took from his biopic on Wikipedia, um, and so you've got to picture this, he's gay, which is wonderful. Um, I'm on Alan Carr's hilarious chatty man show this Friday wearing an assortment of high fashion from my Cree Christmas presents wardrobe, top man silk shirt, Dior's dress trousers, Unconditionals velvet dinner jacket and Louboutin's metalized shoes. <laughs> As for the underwear, well, you just have to guess. <laughs> I just love that quote when I saw oh, it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. And it also speaks to Uranus conjunct Mercury in Taurus, right? This guy loves to be wildly dressed in extravagant and but they have to be, you know, they can't be just chump clothes. No, it's got to be the best. That's Doris speaking loud and clear through Uranus. Okay, so what did he do that was kind of Uranian, of the mind, and unusual? He started writing one of the first blogs when he was on movie sets, long before blogs became a thing. He was one of the first people to do that. Yeah. So That's very he, interesting. Yeah, it is. He's also, of course, an amazing advocate for the LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera, group. Yeah, which that makes sense, too. Okay, now the next one is uh, Uranus with Venus. Now, um, I've actually seen a lot of charts with this, of course, because Venus will catch up to Uranus every year uh, for a couple of days there. And... um, This is a a challenge when it comes to relationships in the classical defined sense. Now, for people themselves, I don't know if many of them, I've I've met a few clients that they've struggled with this because they're hanging on to that traditional idea. And if you've got Uranus-Venus connected, you are not going to be doing traditional. That's just not on. Okay. So, who I picked here is Cat Stevens, born on the 21st of July in 1948 in the UK. He has a Libra Ascendant, Sun in Cancer, so another uh, sensitive guy, Moon in Aquarius. Okay, so having Venus conjunct Uranus is going to be supported by that Moon in Aquarius in the sense of understanding. Okay, so Stephen contracts tuberculosis in 69 and was close to death at the time of his admittance into uh, a hospital. And while he was recuperating, convalescing, 
he began to question aspects of his life and spirituality. And so this is once his career had gotten going, right? Um, and while he was in and out of hospital and lying around with other people that are dying, it certainly changes your perspective. I got down to thinking about myself and it seemed almost as if I had my eyes shut. So we've got this guy who, you know, comes onto the music scene, writes a pile of stuff, gets really, really popular, and then vanishes. Mm -hmm. Right? So, and that Venus Uranus in Gemini. So question, 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 question. Ninth house, what? Philosophy, um, any of that stuff. So he did. He studied meditation, yoga, metaphysics, uh, read about all sorts of religions. <clears throat> And as part of that, Spiritual Awakening and Question, during that time he wrote 40 songs, many of which appear on his albums in later years to come. So second major thing that happened, he nearly drowns off the coast of Malibu. And he yells out, because as he's being pulled out to sea, oh God, if you save me, I will work for you. So relationship, Venus, Uranus, <laughs> Ninth house, God talking, yes, <laughs> makes sense. He related that right afterward, a wave appeared and carried him back to shore. This brush with death intensified his long-held quest for spiritual truth. He then continued looking into things like Buddhism, Zen, I Ching, numerology, tarot, astrology. Stephen's brother, David Gordon, a convert to Judaism, brought him a copy. You would think he would have brought him a copy of the Torah, but no, he gave him a copy of the Quran as a birthday gift from a trip to Jerusalem. Stephen was quickly taken with its contents and began his transition to Islam. Hmm. Now, the other thing that I found amazing when I was looking at his biography is... In those years when the rest of us went, ah, I guess he's gone, he was um, doing charitable foundations that supported the children in the Middle East. Just unbelievable work. Mm -hmm. And my suspicion is the reason why he's reactivated his career is so that he's got funds to support his charitable work. Yeah. But so Ninth House, very strong here, obviously, in terms of the unexpected turns in his faith, in his understanding, yeah. And just that constant curiosity of it being a Gemini. Yeah. Glad he's back. Love his music, eh? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Any, I haven't let you in on any That's of these okay. things. Any, have you got anything you want to say about that? No. He I'm does have Mars in the first house, which is all those wonderful accidents and nearly trying to drown, which also, that Venus rules that first house. Yeah. Which would make the looking for a philosophy and stuff definitely a trajectory of his life. So that is something that the Hellenistic say, is you look to the Lord of the hour marker, which is basically saying the ascendant, and it will show um, one of the main directions that the life will take. Not necessarily what you will do, but the direction that the life goes in. Yeah. Okay, now our next one is a difficult one. And um, this is Uranus and Mars together. And I actually married 
somebody who has Uranus <laughs> conjunct Mars, and I have survived. Yay! <laughs> of course, it kind of goes with my moon opposite Uranus. Okay, sudden shocking events. Okay, fine. <laughs> I can almost deal with them. Okay, but this lady, oh, my heart goes out to her. So, Frida Kahlo, K-A-H-L-O, born July 6th, 1907, in Mexico. She has a Leo rising, sun in Cancer, moon in Taurus. Now, her art would be very recognizable to just about anybody, although they might not know her name. Okay, and I was going to show you some, but and I, I would show you on the radio as well, but I can't. So, basically... A lot of self-portraits, and she's wearing traditional Mexican uh, garb, and she just really brought that awareness out to the public. She was married to um, Guy Rivera, who was also a very prominent artist. Anyway, here's some of her story. So she was, to start with, disabled by polio as a child. Um, and then, but it wasn't so debilitating that she decided she would, you know, headed towards medical school until a traffic accident at age 18, which caused her lifelong pain and medical problems. During her recovery, she returned to her childhood hobby of art with the idea of becoming an artist. She joined the Mexican Communist Party and was introduced to a circle of political activists and artists. Um, and her mother, and it's at this point that she met, pardon me, guy's name was Diego Rivera, um, and she met and married him. And her mother, who was opposed to her marrying this guy, um, referred to it as the marriage between an elephant and a dove. What a wonderful thing to say. <laughs> you just wonder sometimes about parents, right? It's just like, really? <laughs> Why would you do that? Anyway, during the Civil War, um, her the area she lived in seen some of the heaviest fighting and living in a Spanish-style something or other, sharpened I wish I knew how to say her name right, and I know Dolores right now is just shuddering because <laughs> she's from Mexico. I apologize, I apologize. Cajalo, sense of Mexican identity and history. Um, and so with the other Mexican women and artists and intellectuals of the time, she began wearing traditional indigenous Mexican peasant clothing to emphasize her ancestry, mestiza, ancestry, long and colorful skirts, hoopalas and rebozos, elaborate headdresses, masses of jewelry. She especially favored the dress of women from allegedly matriarchal society of the Isthmus of Tutepeca, who had come to represent an authentic and indigenous Mexican cultural heritage in post-revolutionary Mexico. So she did a lot of traveling with her husband, managed to have one of her paintings bought by the Louvre in Paris. And, but because of all of the medical stuff, so when you read her full biography, you just think, oh my God, I would have quit a long time ago. Uh, because she had numerous operations to try to fix the issues with her back and stuff. Towards the end, she was confined to a wheelchair. 
And so when I looked at her chart, there's all this 12th house of confinement and 6th house of health. And of course, that Mars uh, Uranus is in the 6th house. It's in Capricorn. So that means it's all about the bones. Mm. And you look at this chart and you think, wow, why did you even continue to live, right? And I chalk it up to Mars Uranus, the drive Mars Uranus, just energy. Yeah, we will not give up on life. And she didn't. But in the end, okay, she was, I think, in her 40s when she died. So the last drawing that she made was of a black angel, which her biographer interprets as the angel of death. It was accompanied by the last words she wrote. I joyfully await the exit, and I hope never to return, Frida. Well, and, and given the challenge, and also sort of this defiance to the end, you know, of doing it her way kind of thing. Yeah, I was just taken aback when I saw that. Now, the other thing I did is um, I'm starting to also get curious about these important people and seeing what other things I can. So uh, one of the things I'm doing now is I'm looking at aspects to fixed stars. And I have a Bernadette Brady book um, I've ordered from Amazon, which will help me flesh some of these things out. And so I looked at her stars that, uh, you know, fixed stars that are um, connected to the planets in her chart. So she has Sun conjunct Sirius, which is the mundane becoming sacred. So in terms of bringing her uh, culture to the world, that's what I look at that. Uh, it is also conjunct can Canopus, which is the pathfinder. So she had to find a way to be in the world. Okay, Mars, so this goes with the Mars Uranus. Vega, charismatic and magical. So hopefully not all of the time was spent in pain, although when you read her biography, you think, oh my God. Um, she also has, uh, let's see now, who else? Oh, short-lived short opportunities. That's her North Node conjunct, Procyon. Yeah, so quite a few, and there were some other ones. I also did a chart of when she left, which was July the 13th, 1954, just to see who was triggering. And um, there were one, two, three, four, yeah, four planets in Cancer in her 12th house, including Uranus. So Uranus touched off her north node and she departed. She's like, I'm out of here. Also, Pluto was on her ascendant. Yeah. And Pluto to your ascendant is in my books, although this may change with my new studies, but in the past, Pluto to me on the ascendant was the biggest shift a person might be asked to make. And I typically would describe it as one lifetime ends and a new lifetime begins. Yeah, so in her case, that's kind of the way she went with it. Okay, next one, I might have to speed this up a little bit. What have I got, 18 minutes, okay. So Uranus, Jupiter. So you've got the guy of explosive and sudden changes connected with the planet in charge of morals, 
philosophy, the law. <laughs> and who do we have? Why, we have Edward Snowden. <laughs> Isn't that just, like, go figure, eh? <laughs> I know, it's, sometimes this stuff just works way too well. Okay, born June 21st, uh, 1983 in North Carolina. He has a Gemini sun, of course. He was in the whole computer tech thing. And rising, so the sun um, is also, he's got sun, Mars, Mercury, all in Gemini, all in the first house. He has moon in Scorpio, uh, in the sixth house of being a subordinate. But if you put Scorpio there, Scorpio wants the truth. They're not interested in anything else other than the truth, right? Just don't lie to a Scorpio circuit. Not a good idea. They will remember this. Okay, so a quote. I don't want to live in a world where everything I say, everything I do, everyone I talk to, every expression of creativity and love or friendship is recorded. Yeah, that's on his website. Yeah, which is, of course, current. On Snowden's 30th birthday, June the 21st, 2013, the United States Department of Justice unsealed charges against Snowden of two counts of violating the Espionage Act of 1917. You'd think they'd update this crap. <laughs> and theft of government property, following which the Department of the State revoked his passport. Two days later, he flew into Moscow's airport, uh, Shermanetavel Airport, where Russian authorities noted that his U.S. passport had been canceled and he was restricted to the airport terminal for over a month. <sighs> Can't imagine. Russia later granted S Snowden the right of asylum with an initial visa for residents for one year and repeated extensions have permitted him to stay at least until 2020. This is a comment by one of the guys that he worked with. Snowden was a genius among geniuses who created a widely implemented backup system for the NSA and often pointed out security flaws to the agency. So, you know, he... But he had Uranus conjunct Jupiter, and they weren't following the rules. And that Jupiter ruled the 10th house of Pisces. So even though it's a Pisces 10th house, although the MC itself is in Aquarius in the ninth, which sort of doubly emphasizes the need for things to be just and fair and all the rest of it. Yeah, he was also born with Pluto conjunct Saturn in Libra. So again, that's fair. It's got to be fair. Yeah. Um, this guy was just following what Uranus wanted, which was, yeah, this is not right. And I'm going to do something about it. Uh, the ninth house with the MC there also speaks to the fact that he has to live abroad and probably always will, probably will not return to the States at any time. Very interesting path that this guy took. But understandable, completely understandable, given his chart. Yeah. I thought that one was quite interesting. Very. <coughs> yes, very. <laughs> you have a comment? No. No, I'm just... Puzzling, puzzling over it all. Ah, okay. 
any questions, it's it's good. Questions are good. Okay, so our last one. Ooh, and I got three minutes. Well, maybe four minutes. Okay, Uranus conjunct Saturn. Now, this particular combo gets together periodically, and we typically look at it on a mundane level, which is big moving and shaking moments in the world. But people are born during those. Like, there would have been a child born when Pluto and Saturn got together there on the 12th, right? Yes. So people are born with this stuff. And guess who was? Martha Stewart <laughs> was born August the 3rd, 1941. And she had Uranus conjunct Saturn. She is a Scorpio rising with Sun and Leo in the 10th and Moon and Sag in the 2nd. And when I was reading her bio on Wikipedia, it was a bit shocking. American retail businesswoman, writer, television personality, former model, and convicted felon. <laughs> Which, I don't know. You know, she she's not the most likely suspect, right? You know, I mean, if you were to meet her, this would not have been something you would have imagined. Anyway. Uh, in 2004, Stewart was convicted of charges related to stock trading case. There was speculation that the incident would effectively end her media empire. But in 2005, Stewart began a comeback campaign and her co company returned to f profitability in 2006. Stewart rejoined the board of directors of her Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia in 2011 and became the chairwoman again of her namesake company again in 2012. Um, and the company has since been uh, um, bought out by sequential brands. But uh, yeah, so she went up, crashed, and came back up again. <laughs> so <laughs> what does that sound like? Saturn conjunct Uranus. What was surprising to me is it's in the seventh house. So we get the feeling it's an accurate birth time, 1.33 p.m., but I was kind of surprised. And this one still remains a bit of an anomaly to me in terms of how I interpret charts. Um, what it does say, because it's in Taurus, is that, yeah, it's going to be something around valuable resources that could get you into trouble. And maybe it's just that it's Uranus is there, that she wasn't paying attention and didn't realize that she would not be immune from getting caught out for knowing things she shouldn't have known and selling stock she shouldn't have sold. Um, that could be what it is. It's just the seventh house partnership that got her into trouble. Mm. And the fact that Venus, which rules the 12th house of confinement, is not terribly placed, like it doesn't receive any major afflictions. Matter of fact, it's bonafide by Jupiter. That could speak to the fact that she wasn't in jail for very long, and apparently she did some really good work while she was there, <laughs> helping the other inmates. So there you go. Yeah. Okay, I also looked at some of her aspects, and this are these are Arabic parts. And so she does have her moon is conjunct the point of treachery. Ooh. Not good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And, of course, with a Sag moon, there can be a tendency to way more optimism than is actually going to work out. <laughs> These are the folks that can run off the edge of a cliff because they're looking the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's that wonderful Sag optimism, get you into trouble. 
Okay, so there we have it. Um, I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure what I'm going to talk about next week, whether I'm going to continue. I should do more on the Aquarian theme uh, because it is their month, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, this is a rebroadcast of my radio show, Astrology Today, which aired on CJMP 90.1 FM, Powell Rivers Community Radio Station.